everyone. For the next few weeks, we're going to be re-airing some of our favorite guest episodes. We'll be back with new episodes soon. Enjoy! Welcome to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you're having trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw-Flam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And normally our show is co-hosted by Daphne Yang, who is a personal trainer and nutrition counselor and the creator of Hit It!, New York's ultimate high-intensity interval training workout. Uh, But today, it is just me because I have a special guest on the line who I am going to introduce you to in a moment. Um, And before we get started, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before beginning any workout or nutrition plan. And also remember to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts so that other people can help us find the show. It takes just a couple seconds, and it uh, really helps us out. Great. Well, I am very excited to introduce our guest, Jen Elmquist. Hi, Jen. Hi there. (laughs) Thanks for being on the show. Um, Jen, who are you and what do you do? (laughs) Joanna, it's nice to be here with you today. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And most recently, I am the author of a new book, just came out yesterday, Relationship Reset, Secrets from a Couples Therapist that Will Revolutionize Your Love for a Lifetime. Awesome. I read the book. It is excellent. Uh, And uh, so we thought we would talk a little bit about uh, couples therapy and what you talk about in the book, which I think sort of the the main gist of the book is that you don't have to get to the point where your relationship is falling apart to get a lot of use out of some of the techniques and ideas that you use in your practice. Um, So I'm looking forward to talking about that. A lot of our listeners... Uh, some of you may not be in relationships. Some of you may just be beginning your uh, long-term relationships. Some of you might be like me. I'm about to, or I just hit my five-year wedding anniversary. So we're in this sort of like learning how to be in a couple. Uh, And a lot of us uh, really, our only experience with couples therapists is if our parents had uh, problems in their marriage. So I'm excited to talk to you about, uh, you know, how you got into, uh, what you do, and uh, and some of the things you talk about in the book. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what your main uh, impetus was for writing the book? Yes. The main goal in writing this book was to get to couples before they would get to me. So I have spent over a decade as a couples therapist. Um, I've during that time have taught couples therapy to graduate school students. I've supervised people becoming couples therapists. And I kept bumping up against this uh, statistic that said couples wait up to six years before problems start before they get help. And which felt like a really long time. Yeah, that's a long <laughs> you know? time to suffer. It is. When you've been married five years, can you imagine, you know, if, if half of that time had not been great, you know? So you think that's a long time to be in a relationship you're not feeling great about. And I saw that. As couples would come into my office, they were worn out. They were stressed out. They were really struggling. And although we were able to do good work, it was hard work, you know? And mm-hmm. I think always working on a relationship has its challenges, but when you get to a place where you're in crisis and things have become really difficult, the work can be arduous. So I thought, man, I wish I could get to people before they got to me. I wish I could tell people everything I wish my clients knew before they came in my door. And that was my goal in writing the book. I have also put the same information into an online training and community for couples and a live event that my husband and I actually lead together. We've been together now for a little over 25 years. So we lead that live event together. And my hope in doing that, that it would create um, different points of entry for people to come in and get this information long before they'd end up in my office. Sure. I think that makes so much sense because for a lot of people, um, even in their, even as, uh, you know, individuals in their own lives, the step of going to see a therapist feels huge for a lot of people. Uh, and in fact, sometimes it can feel like going to see a therapist indicates that their problems are actually real. Yes. Uh, whereas it's like, as long as I don't see a professional, I must be doing fine. Which is, mm-hmm. you know, when you hear someone else say it sounds ridiculous. Uh, yeah. But I think many of us have been in that place. Uh, and it totally makes sense that it would be the same way for, um, you know, couples therapy. Um, go ahead. 
No, I was going to, I was just going to agree with you. I think one of the big reasons that couples do wait so long is there still is so much of a stigma. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a stigma around mental health and getting help for mental health. And there is a stigma around couples going to get health or help with their relationship. I think it feels like, you know, we're admitting failure or somehow something's really wrong with us if we go get help where I love your show is all about health and fitness, nutrition. You know, we don't think necessarily in the same way about getting help for our bodies um, as we do about getting help for our minds and our relationships. And I would love to shift that thought for people, to have them start to see that getting help for your relationship is is as normal as going to a personal trainer Mm -hmm. to help you get healthy for your body. Absolutely. And we talk all the time on the show about the effect of stress on the body and saying that like, if you're looking to you know, we always describe it as being more awesome. But if, if someone's framing that for themselves as, you know, it's improving their metabolism or getting better sleep or, you know, losing weight, whatever, however they're framing it for themselves, stress yeah. comes into it in a major way. And, uh, you just sometimes need help dealing with that stress for, because it, it, uh, you know, it, it's like a waterfall. It goes into every part of your life. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just about, the relationship anymore, then it affects how you're eating and it affects how you're sleeping and maybe you aren't making time for yourself. So that's, yeah, it all, uh, it all connects. It Um, does. So what is couples therapy? I think for me, I was trying to think of like where I would have seen it in pop culture or in books and things. Uh, and for me, the most, uh, recent example I could think of is, um, in the HBO series, big little lies, there's a, a great, I think amazing couples therapy therapy sequence. But for people who haven't seen it or haven't had a more realistic (laughs) (laughs) expression of of what couples therapy is, what does it look like? You know, in the most traditional sense, it's two partners coming into an office with a third party that's able to get a, you know, a 10,000 foot view on their relationship, help them see the things they can't see, help them talk through the things that are difficult to talk through, be that mediator that can help them have ahas and understand their relationship in a better way, and hopefully give them skills and tools that when their time is done in that environment with the therapist, they're actually able to use them effectively in their relationship and have a better relationship as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And why, in, other than just sort of like generalized relationship problems, what what are some of the reasons clients come to you? Well, I think change is a big one. Mm. You know, I talk about this a lot in the book about the fact that change is inevitable. It's a guarantee in relationships. But when we change, our relationship has to change along with it. And when we're not able to make it through those changes, because some are difficult, you know, some are really challenging. So I think about a primary change that couples go through is when you start out, you know, just the two of you, and then you add children mm-hmm. to the equation. Um and however you choose to bring children into your life and build your family, it is a significant shift where you have to go from being able to, where you go from focusing on each other to now having to focus on this another human being and nurturing their life and still trying to focus on each other. Sure. <laughs> it's really challenging. That's a big change. So I often see people come into my office at points of significant change or following times of change where they haven't been able to um, just success, successfully transition through a change. Yeah. It's, I'm, I've just to talk about myself, I feel yes. like, uh, you know, my husband and I are in this sort of like precipice moment of like looking toward looking at a change that hasn't happened yet because we've, mm. so we've been married for five years. We've been together for 15 years. Uh, and, uh, so it's been just the two of us forever, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. literally half of my life. And, uh, you know, we're now looking towards the period of our lives where we're hoping to have kids and sort of in advance, like trepidatiously saying like, you know, like it's going to be different. It's going to (laughs) change. But, uh, you know, even being aware of that, like I'm, you know, some of my friends who now have young kids, uh, things have changed in ways that I'm sure they couldn't anticipate. So it's not Mm -hmm. a thing that, you know, it's not a thing you can like totally predict and then take care of ahead of time. That is correct. It happens. And then you go on from there. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And you know, it's, it's like anything in life. You can only do so much preparation and then the rest of the learning comes through experience. Sure. 
right? And you have that experience and then you realize, oh, wow, well, we need to do this differently or we need to have this conversation or we need to save this much money or, you know, mm-hmm. all of those yeah. things all of a sudden that you realize, oh my gosh, this is what this is what kids bring into our relationship. And it can bring this enormous richness and growth and love and expansion. And it's, you know, it's legacy building as you build your family that way. And at the same time, it brings a lot of daily stressors and, um, and daily tasks that require you to step out of yourself and give to your child in ways that you've never really had to do in your relationship before. Sure. Um, so I'm curious how you came to be a, a couples therapist. What was the path to that career like for you? Well, interestingly, I, you know, my background is in media and hmm. communications so I had worked in, in business. I had worked actually as an actor for a while, but always avocationally was volunteering in the healing, what I call the healing arts. Mm-hmm. So in some way was, you know, leading groups, working with adolescents. I worked for a while um, with the juvenile courts as a guardian ad litem, um, which is an advocate role for children that are coming out of abusive circumstances. So their voice is heard in the court. Um, so I had spent a lot of my volunteer time working in the healing arts. Um, you know, then it was probably about 15 years ago, my children were both back in school and I decided that I wanted to move into doing that full time, went back to graduate school, started private practice right away, started teaching shortly after that. So it was really a natural extension of um, me moving some of my core passions of how I was spending my time into a career. Uh, as a fellow actor, <laughs> um, I, I think there really are, if, if you feel drawn towards people um, and you also feel drawn towards understanding sort of like larger arcs and larger stories, I really mm-hmm. see how those interests could lead you in in both of those directions. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. it makes a lot of sense to me, uh, you know. Yeah, well, it is such a study, right, of just how people think, how they feel, how they connect, how they react. Um, it's it, There is an overarching parallel, I think, between any of those studies, whether it is communication studies or the study of, a, of an actor through a, a character or then the study of psychology and understanding the mind and how people relate to one another. There's absolute parallels across the board there. So maybe next time I talk to you, Joanna. You're going to be a couples therapist. (laughs) Don't say that too loud. My parents will be too excited. Uh, (laughs) um, I think also there's something about listening for what's not being said that's common between those things. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when you're, uh, if you're reading a play or, or, you know, studying lines as an actor, you're looking for the things that, um, that aren't being said. And I, it seems to me like um, in in therapy and counseling, it's similar. You're looking for, you know, both the words that are said and also the body language and also the, you know, what's not, what's around the corner from that sentence. (laughs) Absolutely. So much about relationships is context, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's our nonverbal context or our history that's informing our current experience or our future dreams that are reflecting how we're working together in the present or, you know, it's, it's that context and then the nuance of the relationship that comes with that. And it's interesting because as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, I, you know, I wrote this book with a lot of that contextual um, viewpoint in mind as I thought about what are the, just the, the essentials that I would want all couples to know. Mm -hmm. know? And and we don't get that anywhere else. I was thinking, you know, there are all these life skills that I've discovered, you know, since leaving college that it sort of blows my mind that we don't address in a more formal way in school. Like, you know, we don't, we don't learn how to cook really. We don't learn really how to balance a checkbook anymore. And basically the only way we learn about relationships is, by watching other people's relationships, uh, which seems crazy because it's hard to be in a relationship with another person, especially as you're each changing. Uh, And so as I was reading the book, um, I really loved how it was broken down into, you know, stages and tools and, um, you know, like you would look at any other difficult challenge. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're so right because... Oftentimes that is, you know, our models 
and what, how, depending on how good those models were or even how present those models were for us, they really are the things we mimic when we get into our intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. And there aren't a lot of places that do offer some sort of formal structure, like, here's what you really need to know. You know, it's kind of like the basics of managing your finances, the basics of managing your relationship. You know, so often we don't even know what what's normal, right? Like, what is everybody going through? And then when we don't know what's normal, we start to isolate our problems in our relationship and start to think, well, I'm the only one having this. That must mean there's something wrong with my partner. That must mean there's something wrong with the relationship. And we can get really out ahead of ourselves um, when Oftentimes, if you just had a baseline of, you know what, this is what's normal in every couple relationship. These are good things for you to do on your own. These are good things for you to do as a couple. And if you know how to um, pursue those things in your relationship, it can be easier. You can actually have greater success. You can feel a little more relaxed. You can sink into each other in a different way. Totally. Well, like I said, um, when we started talking, uh, most of our listeners are young adults who are either in the beginning of their long-term romantic relationships or are still looking for a long-term romantic relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And most of us uh, think of, and I think this is true from reading your book, I gather that this is true, that a lot of people think of couples therapy as the thing you do right before divorce. Um, and you suggest in the beginning of the book that, you know, we really don't need to wait that long. So how would you suggest that we sort of reframe and open up our idea about what couples therapy is and who it's for and when it might be a good time to look into couples therapy? Well, to start off that um, understanding, Mm -hmm. there is actually a statistic out there that says that couples that do meet with a couples therapist or do some sort of couples education prior to stepping into a commitment. And I think that can look, commitment can look at different ways for different couples. I've actually written this information to be respectful of all the different contracts people like to write. Mm-hmm. You know, So some people do want to have a formal marriage. Some people do want to write their contract of commitment in other ways. So when we are getting ready to step into that type of commitment with somebody, doing the education ahead of time does equate to greater success long-term. Mm-hmm. So I would say that would be the number one reason. And you know, like kind of going back to the premise of your show around um, understanding our, our health and our bodies, you think about it in a preventive way, right? That there are so many things we can do early on in our lives through fitness and nutrition that research tells us gives us a better body and better health long-term. And so it is with our relationships. If we take that time and really start to understand our relationship, not just in the context of what a relationship should be like, but even the context of who we are as individuals and how we work together, what are our histories? What are the things that we value and are those similar? Do we have alignment on things? How do we fight about things? Do we understand our differences? Do we know how to work through our differences? If you can set that baseline at the beginning of your relationship, you have a much greater chance of having some satisfaction and success long-term. I think that's absolutely true. And it's something that um, I think that the way uh, my generation dates specifically, like um, makes that more necessary because we're uh, so since marriage is not considered sort of the ultimate goal of every single person. Uh, mm-hmm. There's sort of this like shying away of talking about, at least in in my circles, I don't think this is universal, um, mm-hmm. but there's this shying away from talking about anything that's too serious or too long-term or might mean that like we're, you know, taking things too seriously. And even though, you know, my husband and I had been committed to each other for 10 years by the time we got married, still, went, so we got married um, by my uh, husband's uncle, who's a pastor, and he does mm-hmm. some like premarital counseling. And when we did it, we, you know, we filled out this, uh, you know, quiz basically that was about mm-hmm. a lot of those things that you just mentioned. And even for us, it was the first time we had talked about some of those things because we had spent so long trying not to put too much weight on the relationship ahead of time. Yes. Uh, and it's sort of nice then, uh, to, uh, have someone else who can say like, this is a good time to talk about these things. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to talk about them, in fact, and I will help facilitate doing it. 
Mm-hmm. It does, it really it breaks the ice in a lot of ways, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yes. It gives you permission. You know, it just mm-hmm. gives you permission to have these deeper conversations, and you know, rightly so. I think there does come a point in a relationship where. Um, you are ready to have those more serious conversations. And oftentimes we may not even know what are the good ones to have, right? Right. What are the things we should really be talking about? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can think maybe we should talk about how we want to, you know, handle our finances, but I guess I've never really thought about talking about like what your top five values are and what are mine and are they the same or do we like to do the same things in our downtime? Mm-hmm. You know, and how might that affect our relationship when we're together 24-7? Um, those are all critical conversations that if someone can lay those out before you and walk you through them, all of a sudden it's like you've drawn a map for your relationship, you know, and now mm-hmm. you have this to follow as you get together and live your, your life together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are there other signs that you would suggest that people look for once they are um, further along in their, um, committed relationships, other things that you, that, uh, we can be on the lookout for and say, Hmm, like maybe, maybe this would be a good time to, to get some, get some outside advice. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, one thing specifically, and I actually recently made a video regarding this, it was talking about having that conversation of, um, whether or not it's time to move in together. Mm-hmm. I think that's often a conversation, or let me say this, it's often a decision that's made before a conversation is really had. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. It's like my lease is up and we're paying for two apartments and we're really only living in one. Like, let's just yeah. do it. Exactly. Exactly. And there, uh, you know, I think that is a big one is if you don't feel like you can have some very real conversations about what does moving in mean for our relationship long-term? Um, what are, what's it going to be like when we're living together and we're not getting along? How are we going to handle that? Mm-hmm. You know, what does, if, if we're going to live together and, um, and share space, can, have we talked about like, what are your boundaries and what are mine and what's privacy in this relationship and what's open territory? Those very tactical questions and often like deeper, more vulnerable, transparent conversations about living together. If you don't feel like you can have those conversations, you probably are not ready to be making that choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is so real. (laughs) Yeah. Because once you are together, you are going to have to have those conversations or you're going to avoid those conversations. And having them is going to create usually some type of conflict because that's normal in relationships. So then you're going to have to learn how to work through the conflict together. Or avoiding them is going to suppress the conflict, which means that you're going to build up some resentment and bitterness towards each other. So I always say the key that you're ready to move in together, the key that you're ready to actually move into those deeper, more transparent conversations is that you're willing to have them before you actually move in. And going from that, it makes sense that often one person in the relationship is more ready to have that conversation than the other person, because they're probably at different levels of readiness to do the actual moving in. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think too, that's kind of a part, you know, back to kind of the original version of that question is, you know, what are those things ahead of time that you even know you're ready to make a commitment, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, another indication is you're both ready to have that conversation. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's when you know that commitment's something that's genuine that you both want to reciprocate. Yeah. And it's not just sort of the next step in mm-hmm. some sort of achievement ladder. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, so speaking of steps, let's talk about the relationship f- uh, phases that you write about in the book. I thought this was really interesting, particularly because uh, I am in the earlier phases, and I think uh, for people who are, um, you know, younger, we think about it in terms of like date the dating period of your life, the se- like serious dating period of your life, the commitment period of your life, and the kids, and like that's sort of where our imagination about oh. relationships ends. <laughs> Because, like, even just comprehending that is such a change in uh, how we view our lives. But you break down um, the phases of relationships in a really interesting way, including several that come after that. And I found Mm -hmm. it really helpful in thinking about, like, what might the future of my marriage look like? Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'd love to talk about those phases a little bit. 
Yeah. But what you're referring to in the book, I call the six ta- the sixth stage change cycle of committed couple relationships. And um, I liken it to how we might look at human development. So you look at, you know, you, we have a baby, becomes a toddler, becomes a child, becomes an adolescent, becomes an adult, right? Right. And we all go through that phase, those phases of development <clears throat> as we become more mature. And a couple relationship isn't any different. You know, we start out in a, in a very young phase, which is filled with all those good feelings of meeting and falling in love. And then we become, because of that, we're drawn to build a stronger commitment with one another. And we move into what I call that we phase, or we become a we couple, right? That mm-hmm. is, you know, I was laughing. It's like matching t-shirts and walking the dog and, you know, all of those things that same Waffle House every Saturday morning type thing that we do together. And we start to establish who we are, that shared world. Totally. I, that makes me think my, before we were married, my husband was talking to a coworker and meaning him and me, he said something like, uh, we should go to more baseball games. And the coworker he was talking to sort of looked at him confused and said, yeah, we should. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, when, when we becomes yeah. you and your partner instead That's of you right. and whoever you're talking to. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that we, we all of a sudden, you know, have this world that is filled with all sort of shared belongings and we have these behaviors and these patterns that start to form and they're really comforting. Mm -hmm. You know, there is so much security and stability that couples experience in that stage. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it really starts to write the contract and the game plan for what that relationship is going to look like long-term. But it doesn't stay there forever. It doesn't stay there forever. You know, I think that's the interesting thing about, we're, you know, we're so dynamic. And as you are growing together as a couple, you are still two individuals that are growing and changing as individuals. And that is, you know, that's the unavoidable paradox of <laughs> being in a couple long term and trying to remain, remain kind of who you are and who you want to be in the world. And so that third stage I talk about is becoming, you know, kind of moving back to those individual pursuits. So now we've established this relationship, it's feeling steady. And so it gives us a base that we can grow ourselves off of. So, you know, that's growing our career, if it's doing some hobbies or, or pursuits that we've always been interested in doing, maybe it's going back to school. And at some point, I think for couples, there is that question of, are, you know, do we, are we going to have children in this relationship or not? Um, what does that look like? And should we pursue that? So I taught those three phases to me are really that developing phase. Mm-hmm. And I'm you know, hearing you say, you know, me and my husband, we're kind of in that developing phase, you know, right. and it solidifies a relationship. It helps you, um, be, you know, establish as a couple and really celebrate each other as individuals as mm-hmm. you're growing. And then, you know, most couples after that time move into what I call the wee I plateau. And that's where you've introduced children into the family system or you've really established who you are as a couple and your pursuits as individuals. And you spend a lot of years on that, um, you know, that teeter-totter balancing those two parts of who you are, you know, who I am with you as a, in a as part of a couple and who I am as myself and how I'm becoming who I need to be in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of that as sort of like the sitcom meat of a marriage. Like I feel like most family sitcoms take place in the, that sort of period where it's like the family is being the family and there mm-hmm. are, you know, uh, challenges along the way, but mostly it's the family being the family. That's right. <laughs> yes. It's exactly that. And I think, you know, if we talk about, you know, as you are at the front end of a relationship, a lot of what you look back on maybe is your parents' relationship or relationships or however your family structure was as you were growing up as those examples. And I think we can look back and say, oh, you know, mom and dad were struggling or mom was struggling or dad was struggling. And I saw those things happening, but I never really had context around it. So I think the context starts in our reality kind of after that we I plateau. So after we hit that family sitcom part, you know, in Mm -hmm. a relationship, and then we start to realize, oh, I am growing and I am continuing to change. And that ushers people into, you talk about something called the D factor, which is where you're really wrestling with your identity. And then the final stage, us, um, 
us or me, where couples are going through those times where they're looking at each other and saying, you know, do we still like how we are together or do we need to change this relationship or do we need to change and create a new version of us? And those are those late stages of a relationship that are, they're inevitable because we're continuing to change as individuals. And it really is when the kind of the hard work, maybe if we think about marriage vows, you know, the for better or for worse comes Mm -hmm. into play. You know, as we grow and change and we're confronted with life changes, some that are just natural, um, like kids coming and then leaving, um, and some that are are just we we don't know they're going to happen. You know, we we're faced with death, or we're faced with illness, or we're faced with challenges, unemployment, and our relationship and us as individuals have to accommodate those. And one thing that you talk about in the book is that these cycles aren't linear. You you know most relationships go it's a cycle. So you go back to one phase and then you might be in a different phase and maybe you've been through this phase before and here you come around again. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, cuz I think sometimes we can go through that change cycle very quickly, mm-hmm. right? We, we meet, we fall in love, we become a we, we have our own pursuits, we bring in children, and then all of a sudden something happens and we have to look at each other and say, ooh, all right, well, we got to change, we got to accommodate. So let's just say on, in the most basic level, maybe a, you know one partner gets transferred to a different part of the country, mm-hmm. right? So now we have to pack up and we have to move, but that's a lot of change for our relationship. And so in that, we have all the stressors of moving and changing and going somewhere else. And we're looking at ourselves and we're like, oh, well, we're not the same people that lived in in Brooklyn, right? Mm -hmm. Because now we're living in Minneapolis and now we've got to... You're speaking my parents' language. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and now we, we make that change and in getting through that together, mm-hmm. and this is the beauty, this is the beauty, I think of the change cycle in getting through that together, all of a sudden we have this deeper version of us, mm-hmm. you know, that has some, it has some wisdom behind them that realize, oh, we can make it through stuff together. We can do this. We can do this again. And we fall in love with each other all over again on a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, one thing that, you know, I'm. I'm relatively young and my marriage is relatively young, but my relationship is unusually long. And, uh, something that I really have found to be true is that, you know, it's not as you age into a relationship, it's never the same relationship that it was when you started, but, uh, but I wouldn't go back. Uh, yeah, that's not an original thought, but it's, (laughs) it's not, but actually it's a, it's a deep thought. Because what it is embracing is something that only time and effort in a relationship gives you. You know, mm-hmm. you can't buy you can't buy that. You can't right. buy where you are in your relationship right now. Mm-hmm. And you also can't have it right away. Right. It is something that comes because you've put in five years or, you know, fifteen years, and in that time you've made it through so many things together that you've been able to come to a place where there's, this is an asset now, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there's a lot of value in it. Mm-hmm. Well, so moving on to another sort of, uh, way of thinking about things that I found really interesting in your book was talking about the roles we play in relationships and the, uh, the difference between drama roles and durable roles. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, about those ideas? Drama roles and durable roles. Oh my goodness. They are, um, so predictable and they can be so maddening. And yet I don't know how many of us want to admit that we play the drama <laughs> roles. So, um, <laughs> but they are ultimately these patterns that get developed in our relationships. You know, those things you're like, Oh my gosh, you make me crazy. Um, but yeah, let me break it down as simply as I can. But the drama roles are really, there are three different roles that tend to be played out in every single relationship. So if you, th- I call them, the, um, the buddy, the baby and the bully. And you kind of talk about three different roles that we tend to play when we either try to fix somebody or fix what's going on in the relationship. We feel like we're a victim in our relationship or we become the critic in our relationship and how those, we like to play those roles as individuals as we try to manage our power and try to get things done. Um, and we also tend to play those roles with our partner as we kind of swap different roles. You know, one's trying to fix and the other feels like a victim or one's really critical and the other is f- feeling victimized because your partner's being so critical. And these, that tends to be a drama cycle or a drama pattern that a lot of couples get stuck in. And so I highlight that 
because I know that if you can move yourself from those drama experiences into more durable experiences, and so I talk about being the authentic ally um, the, and the persistent partner and a curious collaborator. You know, they're just, they're small shifts, but they make a huge difference when you're working in relationship. I think, too, um, part of the shift is about finding balance because uh, I think many of us, who find ourselves in the sort of more dramatic roles, either where we're trying to fix things all the time or we feel victimized in our relationships, um, those things feel real. And they, in many ways, feel like a good idea, right? Like, I should want to fix things. Like, fixing things is good. We want them fixed, so I will fix them. Uh, Absolutely. But moving over into the way you describe the durable roles is about realizing that, like, none of those things can happen with just one person (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that there is like a dark side to each of those things. Yes. Um, And that, uh, trying to move towards more of a place of balance where instead of just taking it all on oneself to like try to fix everything, instead taking a step back and saying like, what really is the problem? Like, how can we work together on this? Uh, how can I do this in a way that still includes the other person? Because if I just do it all, they don't feel part of it. That's so right. Yeah, because really what a drama, what the, what the drama roles do is they put us into a power position Mm -hmm. of, you know, and that is either the power position of, you know, I'm trying to make everything better or I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to let somebody fix it for me. And at that point, you're no longer a team. Mm -hmm. You know, you're really working against each other where really successful relationships are collaborations. They are where people are allies or are partners and they are able to manage their own emotions, articulate what they need and respect one another as, you know, other adults that can handle themselves and then move together towards solutions rather than just dancing consistently around a problem. Yeah. Uh, It's hard though. Man, it is. It <laughs> it's is. so hard. And it's it's hard to, um, because it makes you look at these deep things about who you are and how you are in the world, not just how you are with your partner. Um, and it can be, it can be like a, a, a deep slog. <laughs> it, it can. And you know, one of the things that I've done in, in the book, and I, I'm sure you've noticed all of the exercises that are in there. And mm-hmm. my encouragement to people is, Oh, just take the baby steps. You know what I mean? Just right. take it one one chapter at a time or one moment at a time or use it as an experiment. You know, I think so much of life is just a big research experiment in relationships, trying to figure out, like, how how can I be the best version of myself and how can I help and encourage you and how can you help and encourage me and let's try to learn how to do that together. And you're not going to do it perfectly and you're not always going to do it well and you're not always going to bring your your best to your partner. Guess what? That's just fine. But to, if you together want to continue to strive and do things differently and make small changes, you will have a better relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something we talk about often on the show is that you don't have to fix everything right away. And in fact, that's a good way to get nowhere. Um, yes. And that the, the best um, way to, you know, work on like, we all say things like, I want to get in shape, but that's like saying, I want to fix my relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not actually like an actionable plan. Um, whereas saying like this week, I am going to go for a walk twice a week. That's something you can do and something that's not scary and something that you're probably going to succeed at. Uh, and right. I think that, um, the exercises in the book and the way that you break things down are focused on a similar idea, which is that you don't have to quote unquote, fix your relationship you, you know, today you do this one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I, and really, I don't know that it's ever a, about, if I can say this in the most general sense, it's not about fixing a relationship. It's about being in a relationship, mm-hmm. you know, being, being present and having two people look at each other and say, I want to go up with you. I want to learn how to do this better with you. I've, I've never done this before. I'm trying to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so let's just, let's do it together. Let's try it. Let's try this. Let's try that. Let's see if this works. Let's see if that works. You know, one of my favorite exercises that's really quite simple. And it was one of the exercises that I 
consistently um, would give to clients when they first come in and see me because they're not usually feeling great about their relationship at that point. But I refer to it as the three positives. And, you know, this kind of falls into that whole lane of, of gratitude and what you focus on is what you get back, which I believe 100% in. But in couples, this is such a simple exercise to start with each other, which is, you know, every day in by the end of the day, in some sort of shared space, so whether it's a text thread or you want to actually write it down or you have a whiteboard in your house or whatever you want to do, each of you write down three things that were positive in your relationship that day. And do that every day for three weeks. And I guarantee you by the end of that three weeks, you are going to feel better about each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes such a difference just to start, even if you're eventually in the same conversation, going to talk about some things that are challenging. It makes such a difference to start from a place of like mutual appreciation and affection. Agreed. Uh, It just changes the whole tone of what's happening. Absolutely. It really does. Um, So we've talked a lot about um, sort of looking at relationships as a partnership and in which both people are invested in, you know, learning and growing together. Um, But there are, many times when one person in the relationship is feeling the need to look to a couple's therapist or working on some things in the relationship and the other person hasn't bought in and maybe they will eventually, but they aren't at this point. Mm -hmm. And you um, say several times in a book, in the book that people can make progress in uh, couples therapy or in, you know, working on these ideas, even if their partner isn't on board yet. And I was curious why that was such an important point to you. Well, I think so often uh, partners aren't in the same place, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, if you even look at the the change, we were talking about the change cycle, and, you know, you can have one person that is really focused on their career and pushing their career, another person that would like to be home, you know, watching Netflix with each other every night. So you can be in different places, you know, and then you find that someone may have more interest in growing the relationship where another person tends to be just not there yet. You know, maybe they're not interested or maybe for whatever reason, they're not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think it's important that people understand that at that point, there are actually things that you can do to work on yourself to become a better partner and things that you can bring to the relationship as far as empathy and understanding, ways that you can have conversations with your partner, which I have you know, you know, a number of exercises that I refer to as mind benders, which are things that you can do on your own that help you become a better partner. You, can, you cannot change another person. You know. Isn't that what, the worst? Yeah. It's so true, though. <laughs> it is. It's so true. And I, you know, I think that's what a lot of people, when they get into a dissatisfied place in their relationship, that's where they get stuck. Right. You know, they get if stuck. only my husband would blah, 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 then our relationship would be fine. Or Exactly. You know. mm-hmm. Yes. And then that becomes, you know, we talk about the drama patterns. It really puts you in that victim place. Right. Mm-hmm. So somehow, you know, I'm now a victim of my relationship and a victim of my partner, poor me, and now I'm a critic of it too because it's really just about that other person. If they would do X, Y, and Z, everything would be fine. And so I think the reason that I emphasize the fact that you can do things on your own is because the the greatest source of um, of self-efficacy, you know, feeling that kind of power in life is when you know you can work on and change yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you can start to, you know, focus on how can I be, how can I communicate differently? How can I manage my emotions differently? How can I learn about a relationship? How can I look at my relationship as a, you know, a loving observer, someone that's curious about what's working here and what isn't working here, rather than the person that sit, sits back and feels victimized and feels like, nothing's going to be better until somebody else changes. I think that's so valuable. And I also wanted to say, just because this is like a one-off interview in a series of other interviews, that there are things that can be happening in a relationship that like the thing to do is get out. Um, I don't want anyone listening to this to think that they need to stay in a relationship that's abusive or dangerous uh, because maybe they just haven't tried hard enough and maybe they should work on themselves. Uh, You know, it's a, it's a line, right? Um, We always want you to be safe um, and we always want you to be, um, you know, respected. And if the thing to do is to get out of the relationship, by all means do that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, Joanne, I actually have um, a chapter in the book around four reasons relationships get stuck. Mm -hmm. 
And I do address specifically, if you are in a relationship with active abuse, um, ongoing infidelity, untreated mental health, or a relationship that, um, oh, I'm going to forget the fourth thing. It's terrible. That's okay. That's three big ones. <laughs> three big ones. Let's go with the three big ones. Um, that under those circumstances, you know, those issues need to be, so oh, active addiction. Yeah. That's, there's my fourth one. So addiction, abuse, um, and infidelity and untreated mental health. If those things are going on in your relationship, you will be banging your head against the wall trying to fix that relationship. Those four things have to be addressed before you can move with your partner to a place of sustainable change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if those things aren't going on, then like, go for it. Like, you know, there's a, a lot that can be, I think we, we have this idea that married, like relationships are either good or they're not. And yep. the truth is that like most of them probably like cycle in between and live somewhere in the middle and there's good parts and more challenging parts. And, uh, uh, and really we're, you know, trying to tune, tune up the parts that, that need some help, not just throw out the baby with the bathwater. That's exactly right. You know, because relationships are not instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And, you know, clearly the satisfaction that we get from being with somebody for a long period of time and having that type of depth of love and security in a relationship is something that comes because we're able to make it through difficult times together. We're able to be there for a partner when they can't be there for us. Mm -hmm. We are able to sustain even when we're not connecting and then find a way to come back and reconnect with each other. You know, those are the skills that ultimately bring us that type of relationship that I think we look at and say in the beginning and say, that's what I really want in the end, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's not something that comes quickly or easily, but it is something that when you have it is of extreme value. If people listen to this and think, man, that sounds really great. Like I should see a couples therapist. Are there particularly good ways to find one? If I'm telling someone to find a physical therapist, it's really easy for me to go on Facebook and just be like, blah, does anyone have a favorite physical therapist? But I might not be as interested in doing that in talking about a couples therapist because it, whether that's true or not, it broadcasts, I might feel it broadcasts something about my relationship that I'm not comfortable doing. Absolutely understandable. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to that stigma we were talking right. about at the very beginning, right? So, like, more power to you if you do feel comfortable doing that, but assuming <laughs> that most people don't. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, probably not going on Facebook saying, can I get your recommendation for a great couples therapist? Mm-hmm. Um, no, so, yes, I'm going to give a couple good resources for that, um, one being goodtherapy.org. Got it is a great place to go and look for couples therapists. Another psychologytoday.com. They have a therapy finder on there that will be local to your area. That's great. I'll put both of those in the show notes so that if people are interested, they'll be able to, to find those links. Uh, And in terms of, I mean, this is always an issue whenever we talk about any kind of services is like, how do people pay for it? Are it, is it ever covered by insurance or people paying out of pocket? What's, what does that world look Mm -hmm. like? You know, that actually was part of the impetus for me writing Relationship Reset and then creating the online training is that oftentimes insurance does not cover couples therapy. Now, you may have fabulous insurance and they will cover couples therapy. I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's not always the case. And and therapy can be, you know, it can be expensive. Um, And so I do feel like one of the things that my field as couples therapists can do better is by creating a variety of accessible platforms for people to get the information that they need to have a great relationship. So if, if you can't afford to pay out of pocket and you don't have insurance that covers it, you know, programs like relationship reset of what I'm building, which gives you an opportunity to get, you know, everything I wish my clients had known before they came to see me, I've put into this book. It's a lot of what you would hear in a couples therapist office and a lot of what I hope ultimately could get you thinking like a couples therapist about your own relationship. Um, And then the online training, which gives even a more personal approach to getting that information and being able to interact with me in a, in a more personal way. I was just thinking too, for those who are based in New York, I know the city 
has a lot of services that are aimed at supporting families. And I would not be surprised if uh, there might be something, ways to access, uh, I don't know if it would be couples therapy, but some sort of resources on the city level. If I find anything, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but I think, you know, reading the book, it, it was clear to me like, oh, this is a really good way to make this accessible to a lot more people. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing to to consider, and, and this is something oftentimes that is a little bit less expensive, but it goes back to something you mentioned earlier, Joanna, about doing that, um, any kind of premarital or pre-commitment counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes that is a resource you can get for your relationship that isn't as intensive as couples therapy, but extraordinarily helpful and is going to be um, more cost effective. Oh, and I also didn't even consider, um, which shows my like liberal Brooklyn bias. But for a lot of people, the place they would go for this sort of thing is their faith community. And um, if that is somewhere where you feel comfortable, um, by all means, that's a great place to get support and resources um, as long as it's within a community who supports your relationship, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, yep. Uh, so yeah, if, if you are part of a faith community or interested in seeking one out, that can be a great resource for this sort of thing. Absolutely. Well, we've talked all about your book. People are going to want to read it. Where can they find Relationship Reset? Well, you can find Relationship Reset on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Indie.com. You can find information about the book and the online um, training and uh, live events at my site, jenelmquist.com. And I would love to connect with your your listeners. Well, I'm I'm sure they'll they'll come find you. Uh, and if people want to find you on the internet, I assume your website is the place to go, jenelmquist.com, you said? It is the best place to go, jenelmquist.com, and you can connect to all my socials through there. Awesome. And I'll link, I'll link to all that good stuff so people can find you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. Everywhere these days. <laughs> Everywhere. You have to be available <laughs> on 17 different platforms at any given That's moment. right. Uh, Well, is there anything else you want to make sure to say about your work or your book before uh, we sign off here? You know, if I could say one thing, it would be that your relationship matters. It genuinely does. It matters to your health. It matters to your happiness. And it matters to your future. So taking some time and investing in that relationship is well worth it. That is wonderful. (laughs) Well, Jen, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking to us about couples therapy. Uh, It's given me a lot to think about, and I'm sure um, those of you who go out and and read the book will have a lot to think about too. So thanks, Jen. Thank you so much, Joanna. So nice to spend time with you today. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shawflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah versus the Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and for help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at justonemorepod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 